Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of Top Class, the OECD's education podcast. My name is Henry, and I work in the OECD's Directorate for Education and Skills. People have been crossing borders to flee conflict, to pursue a better life for as long as there have been borders to cross. Immigration is not a new phenomenon, but it has become the subject of heated, sometimes violent debate in recent years and has weighed heavily on voters' minds across OECD countries in recent months. It is fair to say that immigration is changing the look of many classrooms around the world. Student populations are more diverse than ever. So what does this mean for educators and policymakers? And how do students who have migrated themselves or who were born of migrant parents fare in school in their new home communities? Francesca Borgonovi is a senior analyst at the OECD who led the team that just produced a report on the resilience of students with an immigrant background. She joins me today to talk about some of the main findings of the report. And my colleague Marilyn will also be catching up with Jens Niemann Christensen, who is the Deputy Director General for Education and Culture in the European Commission, which co-sponsored the report. Francesca, thanks for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you for having me, Henry. So first, I'd like to get some idea of the size of the immigrant populations across education systems. Are we really talking about a significant increase over the past, let's say, uh, 10 years in migration flows? Migration flows are profoundly changing the composition of classrooms. Uh, we uh, use data from the Programme for International Student Assessment uh, that looks uh, at the composition of classrooms uh, for 15-year-old students. And what we did see was that between 2003 and 2015, there was an increase of six percentage points in the number of students who were either foreign-born or had at least one foreign-born parent. Uh, and in 2015, so these data do not take into account uh, uh, the large inflows uh, that occurred uh, uh, as a result of the refugee crisis, uh, almost one in four 15-year-old students in OECD countries uh, uh, reported that they were either foreign-born or had at least uh, one foreign-born parent. The recent report that you produced on students with an immigrant background talks about their resilience can you explain what you mean by that? Uh, so we often consider students with an immigrant background or students who are socioeconomically disadvantaged uh, as being more vulnerable than other students uh, in terms of uh, their academic outcomes or in terms of uh, uh, their social and emotional well-being. And while that's true, there are many students uh, who have an immigrant background or who are socioeconomically disadvantaged uh, who actually perform at very high levels uh, and are socially integrated and have are very satisfied with their lives. So the concept of resilience really is the study of which students are able to overcome adversity, in this case, the adversity that comes from displacement, and perform at levels that are comparable to those who haven't experienced adverse circumstances. So the program for international student assessment that you mentioned, which also known as PISA, consistently finds that on average immigrant students score lower than students without an immigrant background. Is that mostly because of language barriers they have to overcome? 
Well, language definitely plays uh, an important role. Uh, at the same time, uh, there are other factors uh, that need to be considered. For example, students uh, that are foreign-born with foreign-born parents or native-born uh, with foreign-born parents uh, tend to be socioeconomically disadvantaged. Uh, and this uh, plays uh, an important role in uh, uh, shaping their academic outcomes. At the same time, socioeconomic condition doesn't play such an important role in shaping other well-being uh, uh, outcomes of students. Uh, for example, their sense of belonging or how satisfied they feel with their life, uh, how motivated they feel, uh, and uh, engaged with the school community. By contrast, uh, other groups of students with an immigrant background, for example, native-born students with one native-born and one foreign-born parent, uh, or foreign-born students who have parents who themselves had born in the country in which they sat the PISA test uh, at the age of 15, what we call returning foreign-born students, uh, uh, tend to be socioeconomically advantaged uh, compared to students uh, without an immigrant background. So there are a range of factors uh, uh, that in different contexts and for different groups of students uh, play a role in shaping not only the academic outcomes but also the broader uh, well-being uh, of these students. You mentioned that there are different tiers uh, of students with an immigrant background. So there's, you mentioned the native native-born students with immigrant parents, was that right? Uh, yeah, these are considered uh, second-generation students, uh, and these uh, are uh, a large share of students with an immigrant background uh, in many countries. Uh, but in other countries, uh, uh, there are increasing l numbers uh, of what we call the uh, students with a mixed heritage. Uh, in other words, uh, students who have one native-born and one foreign-born parent. Uh, this is integration uh, working at the level of, uh, of individual students. Uh, these uh, are, are students that do show that there is uh, uh, integration in communities. Uh, and uh, uh, while these students uh, tend to have uh, just slightly lower academic results than students without an immigrant background, oftentimes uh, they have to juggle different identities, uh, and so they do report uh, a slightly lower life satisfaction uh, than students without an immigrant background, and they tend to report lower sense of belonging uh, with their school community than students without an immigrant background. Is there um, a marked difference between these students with one native-born parent and one immigrant parent in terms of PISA results and academic results compared with the um, immigrant students who have come with two immigrant parents? Yes, there are marked differences uh, in terms of uh, academic results. Uh, students uh, who have two foreign-born parents tend to be more disadvantaged. The ones that are the most disadvantaged out of all students with an immigrant background are what we call late arrivals. In other words, uh, students who are born outside the country in which they sat the PISA test uh, and have two foreign-born parents and who arrived uh, uh, at the age of 12 uh, or later. And uh, let me remind you that we are testing students at the age of 15 in a language that for many of these, uh, uh, these students uh, uh, is non-native. The report talks a lot about the importance of integrating these students with an immigrant background into host country education systems. What role do you think schools and teachers will have to play in that? 
What we do see is that uh, in some countries, uh, uh, students with an immigrant background uh, go to the same schools uh, as all other students. Uh, there is uh, very little segregation uh, between different schools, and this is very important uh, in terms of ensuring that they enjoy the same educational opportunities uh, and the same resources that other groups of students uh, uh, enjoy. At the same time, it's important that teachers uh, have the right training uh, and are able to to, uh, to deal with the specific difficulties uh, that st these students encounter. What we do observe in the report is, for example, that students with an immigrant background in many countries are more likely to be bullied by their fellow students, but are also more likely uh, to feel victimized uh, by or being unfairly treated by their teachers. Uh, at the same time, these students report uh, that their teachers provide greater feedback to them than to other students. Uh, what these results show is that there is a great willingness, I think, uh, on the part of teachers uh, to support uh, these students, uh, but oftentimes uh, these teachers uh, do not know how to do this effectively, in particular when there is uh, uh, cultural diversity, linguistic diversity, teachers may not be able to deal effectively with the diversity that they have in classrooms. Uh, in particular, a characteristic of diversity is that it's different. Uh, everything is different. Uh, I can be different from you, and another friend can be different from you, but we are also different from each other. And so the teacher needs to be able to deal with the three of us, uh, each uh, in its uh, unique way. What emerges from another OECD study, the Teaching and Learning International Survey, is that uh, teachers in many countries express uh, a great need to undergo training to deal with multicultural classrooms. Uh, so I think there is uh, a, a, an important role that schools and teachers can play in making sure that uh, these new arrivals uh, are integrated in education systems, but also that education systems uh, play a role in the broader integration of immigrants communities. Outside of just kind of natural human hospitality and obvious points about kindness and things, why is it so integral to integrate these students into education systems? Is there other reasons outside of that? The integration of students with an immigrant background in education systems uh, is important in and of itself uh, because uh, it builds uh, their well-being uh, uh, as students at the age of 15. But it's also important for local communities uh, and societies more widely because it can ensure that these uh, individuals and their families uh, will contribute to uh, the broader economic well-being uh, and social well-being of their communities. Uh, and I do think uh, that social cohesion uh, in increasingly diverse societies uh, is profoundly dependent uh, on making sure that immigrant students, uh, uh, immigrant adults, uh, and their families uh, have uh, the right skills, but also life opportunities uh, that are on a par with those enjoyed by uh, other individuals. Well, my colleague Marilyn also managed to catch up with Jens Niemann Christensen from the European Commission by phone, and she asked him a few questions on this topic, so we're, we're going to get his input on this as well. So, Marilyn, over to you. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Jens, for, for agreeing to take some time to speak with us. Can you give us an overview of what the European Commission is doing now to help immigrant students in member countries as they try to integrate into their new communities? Yes, of course. Um, 
This is one of the issues which is very high on the agenda of both the European Commission and all of our member states. So what we do first and foremost is, of course, to try to bring the member states together so we can analyze their situation and see whether we share the same views about uh, what we see. And, of course, for us as the Commission, we have an objective of having what you could call inclusive, values-based education. And there we can simply see, and we have seen from our flagship product, the ET monitor, the European Education Training Monitor, that comes out every year, that immigrant students perform significantly less well across mm-hmm. the board uh, in all member states where they are present. And uh, this is therefore a huge challenge for us to find solutions. Have member states been able to find any solutions? I think what we do have is a lot of effort going on on the ground in the member states. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, uh, I'm, I'm, I would like to distinguish a little bit between uh, the, the part of this issue which is relating to the recent immigrant flow of refugees and migrants which came in the last two years, and of course where we are still struggling to get all these young people into our educational systems. And then the picture we have seen for a number of years, which is therefore not necessarily related to this crisis we had, and where we could simply see that these uh, children and young people from with a migrant uh, immigrant background performs so much less well as young people from the same generation from that country where they are now living. And we are therefore looking at what different member states are doing. Uh, we are looking at how we can support through our programs issues such as training of the teachers mm-hmm. and also of how we can make sure that you don't only see it in a, in a narrow, uh, what I would call, education context, but also for us it's important to see it in the context of youth and therefore of social workers because you need to see the full environment in which these young immigrant children find themselves and to find out why they are performing less well and issues comes to mind such as special programs for their language teaching. Quite a number of them are simply much, much less able to speak the language of the country they live in and are therefore handicapped from the outset. And that is therefore one issue, just to say. And we have therefore our programs, like the Erasmus programs, are trying to fund projects in a number of member states where we try to address this in various ways. And we also have the whole issue of whether you should have special classes or whether you should have these young immigrant students into the normal classroom, so to speak. And this is also where member states are working in different ways to try to find out what is most efficient. And uh, is, is there a sort of an exchange going on among the member yeah. states to learn best Absolutely. practice? Absolutely. We fund a lot of mobility and exchange between individual educational institutions, professors and pupils, with a view to find out how we can overcome this, because it is... Uh, I would call it a widespread problem in many, many member states. Mm-hmm. And one of our flagship programs, the Erasmus Plus program, funds exactly mobility, both for the students, but perhaps in this particular context, also very much for the teachers and for uh-huh. the headmasters and things like that. What impact do you think this particular report now will have on, on policymakers and on educators um, across yeah. the European Union? Well, we, first of all, I think it's a very important contribution to our further reflections here at European level because, as I say, we are funding a whole range of projects in this area, 
and uh, it is also leading us towards the next education and training monitor which will come out in November this year. So we keep on accumulating more and more knowledge at a European-wide level. It is actually a picture of how the different member states perform in a whole range of areas including, and this is one of the key areas we keep on looking at, so what, we are, what the strength of this is almost like the flagship product in Europe about these issues. It shows mm-hmm. whether there is progress because it is year by year. And on this issue, we come back to it every year. And we can therefore see that some are making some progress, and, mm-hmm. uh, while others are still uh, very static in having this, uh, what you would call, underperforming system. So this study brings a lot of new uh, analysis and support to us in our reflections that should lead to, uh, believe, an even stronger chapter about these questions in the next ET monitor to come out in November 2018. Okay, so we've just about run out of time, unfortunately, but I want to thank you very much, Francesca and Jens, for talking with us. Thank you very much, Henry. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you found our discussion interesting, please subscribe and follow the OECD Education Twitter account, which can be found at OECD EduSkills. You can also get expert analysis on all sorts of education topics on our Education and Skills Today blog at oecdeducationtoday.blogspot.com. Thank you very much, and until next time.